You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week we're talking about Orange is the New Black, the BET Awards, and colorism in the black community. Leave a message. Hey, Doreen, it's Ira. I just, just finished season four of Orange is the New Black. I didn't do anything all weekend. Call me back. Ira, how are you holding up? I know you just finished the finale. Are you in an an emotional state like I am, like I've been for the past week and a half? I'm traumatized, personally. Um, And before we get going, let's remind people that there are spoilers coming. So Spoiler alert. have not finished season four of Orange is the New Black, you need to skip ahead. But also, why haven't you finished season four yet? Like, get your life. it's like... Get into a depression like the rest of us. <laughs> Fire up Netflix, borrow your cousin's um, password, do whatever you need to do, finish the season. Pusey is dead, Ira. She was my I, girl. I loved her too, but um, you kind of knew that she was going to die. Because um, she was because, so like, happy, spent, right? Right, she spent all season... I mean, aside from like the beginning when she had, you know, that fight with Soso, um, when Soso thought that she came from like a crack addict mom and some other stereotypical racist bullshit, um, they were just like spending all season like making out with each other and hiding away to steal kisses. And it's like, bitch, you knew you were about to die. Like, nobody is ever that happy on a drama. Yeah. Especially one set in prison. Have you seen Oz? I haven't actually seen Oz. <laughs> but I have a general idea of what you're referencing. People got murked and raped each week on Oz. Listen, and then here's the thing. So Pusey dies on the penultimate episode. And then essentially, you know, the final is all about the prison reckoning with the aftermath of her death. But after I watched the second to last episode, you know, she was lying on the ground in the cafeteria. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, of course Pusey was going to die. That's only when I realized it. Like, before I was just all, like, hunky-dory, happy for her that she was with so-so racist or whatever. But now I'm seeing, like, obviously she was set up to get killed off. And, I mean... It's just, it really hits me hard because living your life, being happy, and then having that, like, snatched away from you, like, that's, like, the arc of every relationship I've ever had with a man. You know, it just hit me, just hit me on a on a deeper level, Ira. I know. That's, like, me and, like, some past jobs that I've had. Um, I won't mention any names, though. <laughs> we all know what job you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, like... Pusey is too happy this season, you know? Like, she had that initial dust-up with Soso um, when Soso uh, thought that she came from, like, a drug addict mom. Um, Soso's so racist. stereotypical black shit. But um, then it was like... They were just, like, spending each episode, you know, just, like, cuddling with each other you know, just being lovey-dovey, 
And like every time a couple has been lovey dovey on Orange is the New Black, some shit has gone down. Mm-hmm. But still, I was blindsided. Definitely, because I, I think I expected someone to die this season, to be honest. Um, it was just sort of leading that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't think it would be Pusey. I hoped it would have been Piper or something. Like, I I really don't need Piper anymore. She's yeah, I mean, such a drag. Jesus Christ. I used to think it was just Jason Biggs who was, like, bringing her down on the show. But then I was like... No, bitch, you were just awful. Yeah, I mean, her name is literally Piper. There's not much, you know, hope that we can have out for this character. (laughs) But, I mean, that's the, to me, that's the concession that the series made from the beginning. You know, like, Piper is the way that we enter Litchfield Prison. But now we're so much more invested in the side characters and the periphery. They have the stories that we want to hear about. And they're all also not white. Um, so yeah, it's just like such a fucking drag when you have to like deal with her shit. She's fucking starting the like white power gang at Litchfield. Like she's such a mess. Yeah. Um, and speaking of like the show and its concessions that we made for having Piper be the star, but it really being about the colored people in the prison, I thought that we all you know, loved those characters. But recently, as of like the ending of this season, there's been a lot of attention online surrounding Pusey's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people upset with the show. Um, we Are Your Voice magazine published um, a piece by Ashley Shackelford. Um, titled Orange is the New Black is trauma porn written for white people and that got a lot of traction on the internet. Mm -hmm. I thought that that piece was really overwrought. I understand because I'm inclined that way. Anytime I see characters that are black or brown like getting the worst end of the stick like I'm kind of like all right what are these writers intentions? But with Orange is the New Black, we have to remember that it is primarily a drama. There is going to be pain, there is going to be suffering, and there is going to be death. And also, consistently in the history of that show, white women have actually died more often than women of color have. And my problem... I know. Yeah, my problem with that piece is, like, it didn't make any space for the suffering that all women were experiencing. Like, there's a really traumatic rape... uh, it's it's actually in season three, but um, Pensateki has to deal with the fallout from that throughout the entire season. And there's also the torture that Ramos experiences when she's forced to eat a mouse by that like completely psycho white guard in the cabin in the forest. So I just think you know not to like, mention the Dominicans experiencing racial profiling the entire season and like a barrage of like racial harassment Mm-hmm. yeah I mean what TV show do you know like understands the drama going on in the island of Hispaniola right now like they were referencing Haitians and Dominicans in the first episode most black people in America don't even know that Haiti and the Dominican Republic aren't the same country so I think that <laughs> <laughs> I just think like 
at the end of the day, it's okay to be upset because you lost a character that you really loved, but I think you need to be, it's disingenuous to make that argument, in my opinion, because there's so much more going on. The season really isn't, it's not really about Pusey's death. That's the culmination of a bunch of violence that has been happening, but there's so much um, incredibly difficult things that women have to experience at Litchfield at the hands of white men. And remember you tweeted this, Ira, you said that so much of the season actually is like reckoning with like how fucked up in the head white guys are. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I had, I did have some problems with um, how we're supposed to be sympathetic towards some of the white men. Like um, I you know, I was concerned, you know, with the sympathy towards the person who kills Pusey and, like, the sympathy yeah. towards the guard who raped Pensatucky. But, you know, the equating of Pusey's death with, like, the death of other um, women of color and other LGBT characters who've died this year on TV, um, like, on The 100... Um, or on Sleepy Hollow, it's just sort of not the same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not a disservice to the narrative. Um, Pusey died, um, yes, but there are other women of color on the show. Um, There are other LGBT relationships on the show. Um, One... People kept like referring to Soso as like a white girl, mm. um, completely ignoring the fact that she is Asian. Yeah, that shit is just like it's so facile and it's not right, and I hate it when people do that. Just ignoring the fact that like how, how powerful the stuff with Sophia was this season, you know, um, you know, in a world where trans women of color are susceptible to so much pain in prison um, and just being ignored by the system, I found it so inspiring how many people went to bat for this woman this season, you know? Um, How important it was that we were reminded that this trans woman's life does matter. That was probably my favorite storyline of the season. And I had been waiting for it since last year with Gloria and Sophia's fight. Um, and I want more of it. But I also know that Laverne Cox is like busy doing other shit. I was and just so- going to say, like, <laughs> so much of the arguments that people are making about, oh, you know, it's trauma porn to see Laverne Cox or to see Sophia Bursette's character in the shoe and all this. I'm like, but also Laverne Cox is getting some serious money right now and she's too busy to do this like little orange is a new black show anymore. <laughs> she probably filmed all her scenes on a Saturday morning. Exactly. And she was gone by 3 p.m. <laughs> and so like kudos to the writers for working around that very obvious um, problem that they had to deal with. And I think also it seems pretty obvious to me that Samira Wiley, who plays Pusey, is moving on to some other projects. But... Yeah. You ignore... Like, a lot of this stuff always ignores the fact that, like, people want to leave 
TV shows, you know? Exactly. And like, what are you just gonna do? Have Samira, um, have Pusey transfer out of Litchfield and then never reference her again? Yeah, that's a also, stupid storyline. Also, like, I love Samira Wiley, but like, she's not winning any Emmys from her performance. So, <laughs> if you wanna get rid of Pusey, I'm fine. <laughs> Damn, that was really harsh. <laughs> I'm just saying. Busey was my favorite character. Well, that's because I thought she was my Pusey. favorite character too, and I just think it's because like Samira Wiley is just so charming, you know. Yeah. I want to see her in a different role to see what she brings to the table. Um, but I remember, like, specifically during the V stuff, like, I don't think that she's stepped it up the way that we need it on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that character of Pusey just, it had a, it had an expiration date. Like how much are you going to be like the, like cheery, really intelligent, like, you know, army brat. Like you can't just be that for like so many seasons. And so I thought it was great that they ended it really dramatically. And at the end of the day, it's not like, Pusey was died and forgotten. If anything, her death galvanized the entire prison to start an insurrection. The season ends right before Pusey, you know, there's a flashback and she's doing, she's breaking the fourth wall. The season ends with Dianara holding a gun to a guard's face. That is the biggest display of power that we've seen in this show and it's a woman of color who's doing it. And I know that there was some um, discussion too about Daya being the one to pick up the gun. Some people were like, oh, she's been all about love and light and peace um, and now she's picking up a gun and aiming it at a guard. I'm like, she's been through a lot of shit and her mom left and she doesn't have her baby and Matt McGorry is busy filming <laughs> How to w- Get Away with Murder and like reading feminism books and reviewing them on Instagram. So like he's too busy to be on Orange is the New Black right now. So she doesn't even have her man. Furthermore, talking about the white writers, um, the show is run by Genji Cohen. So if you think that Dea picking up that gun at the end of the season is out of character. Just look at any of other Genji's fucking shows. Nancy Botwin on Weeds like did some shit out of character every week on that show. Genji just literally writes towards a hot plot twist and builds up to drama at the end of the season and then a bunch of shit happens whether or not it makes sense. Yeah, but like that... she does it for white characters, Latino characters, and black characters. But that would require people to do research, Ira. You know, people don't. No like one doing ever no does damn any research. research on the internet. Why would you research before you write anything online? That seems I like mean, such a waste of time. You could you could be informed, but you could also just fire off a tweet storm and talk about how you could write the show better when your tweets are barely spell checked. Well, I'm assuming you're talking about a very specific tweet. I'm gonna just leave you at that. I don't know her.
Hey, this is Doreen St. Felix, co-host of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III, letting you know that you can now subscribe to each of your favorite MTV podcasts individually at iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. So search for Speed Dial or any of your other favorites and hit subscribe. Thanks. Speaking of traumatic experiences, um, did you see the BET Awards this weekend? Why are you calling it traumatic? That shit was I'm just glorious. being rude. The, the <laughs> BET Awards were actually pretty magnificent this year. Um, I don't know if it's because Beyonce like started off the night by blessing everyone in the audience, but it was a great show. Listen. I think that we have been in such an awards show drought lately. They've been so boring and so white and so buttoned up. And the BET Awards brought it this year. And they brought it in a way that honestly only a black cultural force can do. There's no other award show that's going to get Beyonce and Kendrick to open it. Not even the Grammys could get that. Beyonce came in. She came on that stage, she brought her formation water and her formation dancers, and she had on her wig braids and she killed it. It was incredible. And that was just like the first five minutes of the show and then there were like five more hours after that because you know black people can't finish anything on time. But I digress. Can I say that this was Beyonce's best performance? Like best Music awards performance, like best performance ever. Yeah, you know, like we we just saw the Formation tour, and the Formation tour was hot. But I'm like, how she managed to like her best award show performance. You know, like this was just better than anything she's done at any award show ever. Just the emotion in it, the presentation, it was perfect, she and it really... was so unapologetically just like black like you're right this would never be at any other award show exactly Um, and it had to be at BET and that's why it's so perfect I felt really reinvigorated and it's kind of corny but you know like whenever we have our black cultural products we kind of side eye them side eye them a little bit for a number of reasons but at the end of the day like there's nothing like watching essentially black Hollywood and black musical royalty just trotted out one after one. Whenever I'm watching other music award show, like you wait for the black moment. You wait for Viola Davis's speech in a sea of whiteness. But here there was no waiting. It was just like one after another. Even fucking little designer. He made me happy. I'm glad somebody is like a designer. I still don't know how I feel about her. (laughs) Does she have the range? Yes or no? Designer does not have the range. What are you talking about? You didn't see it. No, you're range, just saying that because you didn't see Designer's freestyle. I saw his freestyle. I thought that shit was very emotive. I'm just waiting. You know, I still don't know what the fuck a panda is, and I don't know why a panda has broads in Atlanta. Um, the song makes no sense. And not in the way that, like, future songs make no sense. Because, like, at least when feature songs don't make sense, they're good for, like, one line that always sticks in your brain, you know. Um, But designer, 
I don't know. I'm just going to chalk. He's just too much for me. I'm going to chalk designer up to me just being a little bit too old for that generation. Like, I don't understand it, but I get his happiness. How are you talking about you too old for this generation? Like, designer is probably your age, boo. No. I don't like that little joke. I'm like seven years older than designer, okay? Are you? Yes, designer's 18 years old. <laughs> oh. He just well, turned 18, sense. too. He's a fresh 18. That make, wh- Why does he always seem like he's so drunk then? Who is serving him? The plug. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy Ellis Ross and Anthony Anderson were hosting, which... Anthony Anderson is kind of just riding on her coattails a little bit. But it's okay because, like, Tracy, she's just so transcendent. This little old man can stand around her and do whatever he wants and do his little dance. Like, at the end of the day, she's a star. Even if she she endorsed Hillary Clinton and I was still like, I'm here for you. Tracy is amazing. She's everything to me. I love her. I appreciate the fact that Anthony Anderson has still managed to make himself relevant 20 (laughs) years later when I thought that he would go far, far away. Um, But he keeps coming back. Yeah, he's like a a boot like Michael Strahan. He's doing his thing. He's he's all right. They're cute together, you know, and they have nice chemistry because of Blackish. And I thought that they were fine hosts. You know, they're always down to have fun he's so fucking loud but (laughs) i like her um and i know that like we're loud in general you know as a people but like anthony anderson is like on that kevin hart kind of loud you know that kevin hart that chris tucker it's like shut up he's that kind of loud that you know when you're like shy as a kid in school And their teacher is like, you need to project your voice. I need to be able to hear you from across the room. Like, he still has that, like, advice stuck in his head, even though he has the best microphones in the world available to him. Well, it's a BT microphone, so I don't know if it's the best in the world. But Wow. We're we're talking about BT in a positive manner right now, Ira. I know we're talking about (laughs) BT in a positive manner, and I am so happy that they got their coins up to be able to afford not only Beyonce and Kendrick, but also these Prince tributes, um, which we don't really have to dive into. Um, All you need to know is that they were better than Madonna's. And there were many of them, and they were scattered out the whole uh, award show, and the award show was over four hours long. So that was great. Yeah. It was awesome. I went away to watch Game of Thrones and came back and I was like, this is still on. <laughs> I went to dinner like far away from my abode <laughs> and came back and Maxwell was still in the audience. <laughs> like, <laughs> And that was the other thing I loved about it. It was just like, the thing with black music is legacy is so important and there's such a... There's really a family tree embedded in the way black music circulates over time. And the fact that you saw these people who would be considered washed in a white music setting, they were like, you know, the elders in this setting I really loved. Like a Maxwell. Um, You know, Stevie Wonder, his ass is always at the BET Awards. I love that. It just feels like, you know, we always like the black community is always going to like rally around 
people who were famous even if they're not really like relevant right currently. we even put up with spike lee's old ass and his looking like Willy Wonka. tribute the tribute is in quotes because he looked he looked worse than chirac <laughs> oh my i was God. like are you about to lead us into your chocolate factory sir <laughs> Spike Lee, if you do not know, wore a purple top hat and a purple suit. He had the Prince symbol as a pin on his lapel upside down. He looked a hot ass mess. God bless him. You know, he's just trying to, he's trying to relive Girl Six Days. Prince did the soundtrack for Girl Six, if y'all, you guys don't know that. Um, I'm going to let Spike Lee cook. He's a legend of his own right. And speaking Plus we of, already we already went in on Spike Lee last week. Yeah, so. yeah, we gotta leave Unk alone. But another, I think, I think another legend was born that night. That legend is a beautiful man by the name of Jesse Williams. You mean Jess- my husband, Jesse Williams? No, I mean my husband, Jesse Williams. I don't know. I you might be you Jesse Williams streets. from Costco. That's a different Jesse Williams. I'm talking about my Jesse wow. Williams. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what You're was being the... catfished, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the award that he won again? It was like an I don't even award. I don't even remember. I think like nobody remembers why Jesse Williams was actually on that stage. It's true. We just know that he was put on that stage for a purpose and he delivered it. This speech was, it was just over two minutes long, but within it, Jesse Williams essentially encapsulated the current, just like the current strife of both black protests, but then also black complacency, and then wrapped it all up in white supremacy. Like it was just so eloquent, so well done. And he started off by talking about black women, which is something that you niggas never fucking do. You never talk about us. And he started with us. Jesse Williams, I saw an article that was, you know, comparing him to Harry Belafonte. And the article was basically just like, oh, like Jesse Williams is the new Harry Belafonte. And someone replied to it so succinctly that Jesse Williams is married to a black woman. And what a lot of people don't remember is plenty of these male black civil rights advocates were homophobic and hated black women. Harry Belafonte is, you know, he talked often about how he wasn't really here for black women. He didn't even hide it. So I just think that Jesse, he's on some other shit. If, if anything, it's actually not even as um, impressive as the work that Jesse Williams has done as an educator and as an activist. So many stories were coming out in the, after the speech was given of people being like, yeah, I'm an activist in so-and-so city. I DM Jesse Williams and, and was like, you know, I need legal advocacy. I need some money. I need some help. And he would drop everything that he was doing to help these people. And these are stories that we don't even know. These are stories that he, you know of work that he's doing privately. And so I think that he really is just the possibility model for what it means to be a wealthy black celebrity who pays it forward. What it means to be a wealthy black celebrity who is radical. Meanwhile, he is still on Grey's Anatomy. Getting those uh, checks. Every week. 
right? Getting that money, getting that Shonda money, getting that ABC money. Um, and he's still managing to do all of this. Like, he is, he's everything. Um, I don't know. It was probably like last year or so when he really started ramping up his activism online. And I was just like, everything about this man is perfect. Yeah, besides the fact that he is so damn fine. That's the injustice here. How fine Jesse Williams is. There is an injustice in this story. He should probably be ugly um, (laughs) because he has too much going on, you know? And then I loved how he made all these dudes salty, all these men being like, oh, yeah, well, dark men was riding for black women or whatever, and y'all didn't want us. In what world do the famous black men of America ever ride for black women? None of them. Ludacris was on Sierra's song, Ride, and I don't even think he rides for black women. (laughs) Oh, my God, Ira, go away. (laughs) (laughs) but par for the course these dusty niggas after jesse's speech completely ignored the fact that he called out black men in general and were like no he's calling out black people because you i know you saw the memes that started online about jesse williams's wife um who is a lovely black woman who is not a celebrity um she has natural hair um Mm -hmm. you know she's not out here trying to look like a kardashian um and all these memes were like look at what kind of woman jesse williams is with um you women are out there trying to chase fame and be a hoe but you'll never get yourself a jesse williams because you don't look like his wife they're just so... And I'm like, way to miss the point and way to reaffirm exactly what we've been saying all along. Which is why we just need more Jesse Williams. Jesse Williams is in the world. So it's a really it's a really touchy topic within I'm I mean I'm sure it's a touchy topic uh, a touchy topic within all communities that have dark skinned and light skinned people like in Asia and whatnot. But in America we really don't have a language to discuss you know the way that it is. Basically the colorism debate started after Jesse Williams' speech because a number of very salty men, the same salty men that we were talking about before, were pointing to uh, Jesse's light skinness to kind of argue that he's able to make such a radical political message because he's more palatable to white viewers. And while that's true, it doesn't negate what Jesse Williams said, nor is it okay to say that Jesse Williams is, like, not as black because white people listen to him more. Right. You know, it's like there are a lot of people like that, you know. Beyonce has a lot of white people who listen to her, you know, because she doesn't look like Kate Michelle. 
she's also more talented, but that's besides the point. You know, Jesse Williams also has a lot more to say than these other people who are out there. You know, I mean, no one else has that platform right now. Yeah. And he's using it in the best way that he can. And I just, you know, it upsets me that people try to detract from that by bringing up his color, you know, especially when I don't think it's in the detriment of like anyone else trying to use that lane. Yeah, like the the argument wasn't brought up in good faith. It was a bad faith argument. Although it is true abstractly. Well, yes. I mean, we also just recently talked about how Steph Curry um, and Clay Thompson, you know, are afforded more leeway with how they act on the court than, say, a LeBron. And to be fair, they lost that NBA final. So I think we know how God feels about light skinned people. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, there are some light skinned people, though, who do. They deserve. They deserve the teasing. So essentially in response to the bad faith arguments that a lot of men were making, a lot you saw a lot of people who think of themselves as being lighter skinned, even though maybe they're not actually even light skinned in the first place, those people got really defensive and basically were kind of arguing that what what amounts to the tragic mulatto argument that darker skinned black people are always policing their blackness and it's not their fault. There's nothing they can do. And that's when shit got very annoying, in my opinion, because I do, you know, I tease light skinned people. I'm not even I'm not dark skinned. I think I would qualify as brown skinned, but I make fun of my mom all the time. My mom is a light bright like. But at the end of the day. If we can have these conversations about privilege and if we are sophisticated enough to say, oh, like in the example of women, white women have more privilege than black women do. We can make those arguments. But for some reason, when we're in the community, inside the community, and we want to, you know, witness the truth that light skinned women do have more privileges than darker skinned women, all of a sudden people get really defensive Um and they end up actually reifying the idea that like victimhood is more easily accessible to lighter skinned women than it is to darker skinned women. Right. And Jesse Williams doesn't even embrace any victimhood, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's he's living his fully black life. Um, and I have never seen a moment where he's sort of detracted from that. You know, he's always repping for black people, black women. Um, And I think that, at the end of the day, is what's most important. Mm -hmm. Steph is married to Aisha. um, And that is sort of where the actual, like, victimhood comes in. You know, these men try and act like um, they're victims because they can't, you know, land an Aisha Curry Meanwhile, they're using Jesse Williams's partner to lash out at black women. Mm-hmm. It's basically a lot of straight black men who need to calm the fuck down, period. Yeah. And I don't want to discount that there is, you know, there is a grain of truth, maybe even more than a grain, 10 grains of truth to what a 
what these men are expressing, you know, I don't want to say that darker skinned black men don't experience feelings that they're less desirable and all that or whatever. That shit is true. But you need to be careful when you're dealing with your own personal trauma that you don't like project it on situations that aren't actually about that. So like Jesse Williams' wife wasn't thinking about you know, these niggas who, like, live in their mom's basements when she was getting engaged to Jesse Williams. Like, she, you guys just weren't on her mind. This is one specific person that she loves, and, like, that's how they came together. So I think it's just, they, like, these dudes just have such unresolved um, traumas, and it's really difficult for them to resolve them because they don't really have a template to do that in public. And I think that's where a lot of the instinct is coming from. But that's me being really generous, but I think also that they just like are misogynists and hate black women. <laughs> right, because it's been, you know, it's been sort of the move lately for lighter skinned men to be able to share their feelings in public. I mean, that's part of the stereotype, right? Like mm-hmm. that light skinned people are in their feelings. So, you know, someone like Drake is able to be emotional on his records along with J. Cole. Um, Steph is allowed to, you know, be fully supportive of his wife. Um, Jesse is allowed to appeal to the community because it's more acceptable to be, you know, in your feelings. You know, you don't have to be a hotep. You don't have to be fake deep, fake enlightened um, and try and get people on your side if you're lighter skinned because it affords you the ability to be quote unquote in your feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those things are true. And it's true that the pantheon of 60s civil rights era leaders are mostly all lighter skinned. And that didn't just happen by accident. So in some cases it was actually even like, you know, they were chosen for that reason. The classic example of that is Rosa Parks. So Rosa Parks was not the first black woman to protest uh, segregated seating on a bus. The first black woman was actually Claudette Colvin, and she actually was a teenager. She was a single mother, and she was darker skinned. And the PR team behind Rosa Parks felt that she was a better example for the civil rights movement because she was older, she was lighter skinned, she was more respectable. Again, we're really having a conversation about respectability politics here. So this shit is real and it's something that is, of course it's perpetrated by white people primarily, but it does, you know, fold, you know, double down on itself within the black community. I don't know if people like know that it is intentional, but it is. And it has been intentional throughout history. It's why Zoe Saldana was the person cast as Nina Simone. You know, it's it's just don't tell Zoe that though. Zoe don't like to hear that. To find a light, uh, Miss Zoe, Miss <laughs> Zoe. What happened to Miss uh, Zoe? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, at least people are talking about Nina Simone now that I did this movie. Like, bitch, if you think that people did not know who Nina Simone was before your Guardians of the Galaxy ass sashayed onto set and slathered some dark butter on your face, you have another (laughs) thing coming. That is an example of somebody acting very light-skinned, Zoe Saldana. So basically, I think we've come to the conclusion that there is light skin privilege 
but also don't detract from light-skinned people who are doing the damn thing like Jesse Williams. Basically, never come for Jesse Williams until we find out that he's like secretly murdered a bunch of people. And, and even, even then, then, and even, even then, even then, we have to find out who he murdered because yes. you if gotta they hear both sides. Exactly. If they weren't like worth much, then it's okay. So I want y'all to really, you know, take a long, hard second, look at yourself in the mirror and decide if you have what it takes to come for Jesse Williams. Because if you do, then you just have to meet me and Ira um, outside and, and, and we can deal with that. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Kasia Mihailovich, Michael Catano, and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.